In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. A little over two weeks ago now, Ontario's Auditor General released a scathing report on the provincial government's process to carve land out of the environmentally protected Greenbelt in order to develop housing. In the aftermath of that report, the government decided to ride out the scandal, to stand firm and let it blow over. It has not blown over. The OPP have handed over a potential criminal investigation of Greenbelt development to the Mounties to avoid a potential conflict of interest. Tonight, the housing minister's chief of staff, the man whose name featured prominently in the Auditor General's report, has formally resigned. And they're trying to say, hey, this one staffer, this one brand new chief of staff, literally months old, orchestrated this whole thing all on his own. They're lying. With new stories breaking every day, new investigations popping up, and public opinion turning against the government, Premier Doug Ford decided at the end of last week it was time to clear up a few things with a press conference. And it was quite a press conference. This is the last question. Think that your government is corrupt. Explain to them why you don't see this as corruption. Well, I'm trying to build homes. That's my intention. It's not none, none of that. I'm trying to help. I'm, well, you know something that that's you know that's pretty nasty. You saying that? So that is roughly where we stand today. Though I may have left out a few other interesting issues, like an integrity commissioner, private phone calls, and things of that nature. But you get the gist of it. The question is, how did we end up here? How did we end up in this mess? And is it really going to get even uglier? Before it gets better? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Emma McIntosh is an Ontario reporter for the Narwhal, one of the people who's been leading the team who has been leading this story since it broke. Hello, Emma. Hi, good to be back. It's been a couple weeks and a lot has happened, so we had to get somebody back in to explain uh, how this scandal has deepened, I guess, because it seems to have. Yeah, who thought that more could happen on this wacky, wacky story? But here we are. I'm not going to rewind all the way because we just did an excellent episode with your colleague Fatma Syed uh, that covered sort of what the green belt is and, and how we got here. But maybe because it's been... A couple of weeks. And like I said, a lot has happened. Just refresh us quickly on what the Auditor General's report about the Greenbelt said. And I guess what you were thinking as you read it. Okay. Well, the top line reaction for me was this is basically a movie. Like this is something fresh out of Hollywood. This is not a province of Ontario scandal. And yet it, it was. The Auditor General found 
um, that Ryan Amato, a chief of staff to the minister responsible for the Greenbelt, had spearheaded this entire process, working with this little group of people working under NDAs, giving, quote unquote, preferential treatment to a select group of developers who had access to the government and directing public servants to do everything to make their lands developable. This basically increased the value of those developers' lands by over $8 billion, which is shocking enough. Mm -hmm. But then in between, there are all these crazy details. Uh, There were packages passed between people at uh, development industry dinners, the kind of stuff that I've never seen before. So I think it's safe to say the jaws were on the floor all over the province when that report first came out. When it did come out, it was an inflection point. And since we're about to talk about what did happen since then, maybe at that point, just what could have happened and what was on the table? The message that I was hearing from sources and from politics watchers was like, there is absolutely no way this chief of staff is going to last the day in his job. One interesting aspect of the report was uh, it found that the premier and that Minister Clark, the chief of staff's boss, both said that they had no idea what Ryan Amato was doing. They had no idea when they signed off on the changes to the Greenbelt that it had been done in this way. Okay, rewind quickly. Who is Ryan Amato? Ryan Amato was the chief of staff to Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister Steve Clark, whose portfolio includes the Greenbelt. And we had never really heard much about him until this report, but all of a sudden we're learning an awful lot, which is that he was the guy who was in charge of what they were calling the Greenbelt Project. But uh, Ryan Amato himself appears to now be contesting this. So it's a whole cinematic universe of, of problems. Let's start with the government's initial response. This is where we left it when we spoke to Fatima. Nobody kind of knew what would actually happen next. What did the government actually do in the wake of this report? So Premier Doug Ford and Minister Clark got up at these two twin microphones and answered questions for one hour, which is already weird enough. Um, That does not normally happen. And The two of them got up there and defended what they had done, defended the government, but also kind of contradicted themselves. On one hand, they were arguing that they didn't know what was going on, that Ryan Amato had been acting without their oversight and that they had plausible deniability on this whole thing, but also that they were going to keep going ahead with it. That, um, yes, the process was flawed and yes, they take responsibility for that, but also the developers are going to keep that unlocked land and the housing development is going to go ahead. I think that at that moment, the government really thought they could weather it. And what we saw last week is is maybe the first inkling that they can't, that this is not a storm that is going to blow over quickly. So what happened last week? And I, I think there was a few things, if I'm reading your reporting and other reporting on, on this correctly. So maybe we'll break them down kind of one by one and then talk about what they all mean going forward together. First... There is, or I guess was, or still may be an investigation first by the OPP. What's the status of that? Yeah. So since January, the Ontario Provincial Police have been casually looking into this. Not officially, casually. Yes, not officially, casually. And that's because they say they were working to decide whether they wanted to launch a full investigation. We don't really know how far they got with that. Um, from some emails that leaked to our colleagues at the Trillium, uh, it doesn't seem like they got very far, but regardless, they had that on their plate. And then all of a sudden, on August 23rd, the OPP break their silence. They come out and say, 
We're actually referring this to the RCMP to avoid any, quote, potential perceived conflict of interest. Nobody knows what that means. Okay, because I was going to ask you. (laughs) This is baffled pretty much everyone. You know, for those of us who are old enough to remember the gas plant scandal in Ontario, which was a, a kind of similarly outlined government scandal about a decade ago, in that case, it was the OPP who investigated the government. Hmm. And so there's a precedent for them doing this, even though the Ontario Provincial Police are, you know, obviously a, a provincial government thing. They're connected to the government. So that was weird. But then the RCMP come out and they say, yes, that's right. We're investigating. Uh, we'll keep you updated. Uh, and then like five seconds later, they issue another statement saying, oh, no, no, sorry, we're not investigating. We're not investigating. We are assessing whether we want to launch an investigation. Casually looking into it. Yeah, casually looking into it. And if your head is spinning at this point, that is valid because I think that was it was the same whiplash for everybody. It's like, what is going on? It's this flurry of statements. And that wasn't even the only crazy thing that happened last week. Actually, maybe just quickly rewind for those who don't know and explain the liberal gas plant scandal. Yeah. So the gas plant scandal happened about a decade ago. And I think it's a really useful example for us to look at now to see like just how badly this could go for the Ford government. So the gist of it, the original problem was that the liberal government at the time uh, in the run up to the 2011 provincial election uh, canceled plans to build these two gas fired power plants that were unpopular in the communities where they were going to be built. Um, the, the liberals wanted to win those ridings to stay in power. But this cost the public a lot of money. And so this prompted this big investigation that led to allegations that staff had deleted government emails and other documents that could have shed light on what happened. And in the end, the deletion of those records was what made it into a really big scandal. And uh, a chief of staff to the premier at the time, Dalton McGinty, actually went to jail. Okay, so back to the events from last week, what else happened? Well, not even a day before that, Ryan Amato resigned. And I don't think anybody was expecting this. Uh, you know, the day that the, the report from the Auditor General came out, every indication coming from the government was that they were going to keep Ryan Amato. Uh, the minister talked about how he had confidence and he was grateful for the confidence of the minister and him and his staff. And even Premier Ford said he was going to wait to see what another investigation that I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, will find about Ryan Amato before making any decisions. Either way, that's like a long way away. But all of a sudden, on August 22nd, after 5 p.m., journalists get this email blast from the Premier's office saying the Premier's office has accepted the resignation of Ryan Amato. And in the meantime, between those those two events happening... All we had heard were these leaks from the premier's office that uh, Doug Ford had personally intervened to save Ryan Amato's job. So it didn't seem like they had asked him for his resignation. And sure enough, shortly after that, Ryan Amato's resignation letter leaks. And in it, he says that the auditor general, who portrayed him as the architect of the Greenbelt affair, he says that that is not correct and he does not agree with the way he's been portrayed. And that's kind of awkward because the way that the Auditor General portrayed him is the way that his boss, the housing minister, portrayed him. So layers and layers there. Now, Ryan Amato hasn't actually spoken to reporters yet, um, so we don't actually know what he thinks other than what's in the letter. But I wonder if we're going to find out. 
Well, because you mentioned it and I kind of hinted at it, now you have to tell us about the other investigation that may or may not reveal more about how much of this Amato was or was not responsible for? That's right. So there is another investigation underway by the province's integrity commissioner. And what that commissioner does is um, they look at whether government employees, and that includes like MPPs or the premier as well, whether they have followed all of the ethics guidelines, basically, that they have. So this guy was already looking into the situation uh, because opposition parties had requested that he look into the premier's role, which um, is not really happening. But they are looking into the housing minister's role, and they are separately looking at the premier's ties to developers from this other incident that happened where developers were at his daughter's like pre-wedding party. Right. Whole other can of worms. But those two things are already underway. Now the premier's office, in response to a recommendation from the Auditor General's report, have asked this commissioner to look at whether Ryan Amato followed the rules as well. And I know that's like a lot of things. We're very deep in the weeds, but with every drip, you know, with every other investigation, what happens is this draws out the scandal longer. The integrity commissioner is already working on two investigations. We're going to find out the results of those eventually. And now there's potentially a third one on the pile. That just is so drawn out. At at this point, we're probably going to be talking about this for years, right? And that's years where it can continue to damage the government's reputation. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. I want to ask you about one more thing before we sort of move on to what's going to happen from here and how quickly, and that is phone calls and why many people who have been following the story spent last week hearing about which phone Premier Ford did or did not use. Yeah, this is a recurring problem, Um, but it's really come back here in a big way. So to explain this, I'm going to have to back up just a little bit more um, to one more thing from the Auditor General's report, one thing that kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So the Auditor General just kind of casually put in there that she observed that staff in the government, political staff in particular, were regularly deleting emails. That is not allowed. Like, you are not allowed to delete uh, records that are anything substantial. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, right? We need to know what our governments are doing to be able to hold them accountable. And there was also an issue she found where political staff were using their personal email addresses to communicate with development lobbyists. Again, not supposed to do that. I believe (laughs) I I learned about this back uh, during the Hillary Clinton era. Yes, it's one of those things that I think everyone understands is not supposed to be going on. Um, And this was a big part of the, uh, the gas plant scandal that I talked about earlier as well was, you know, record keeping. And when this came out, Uh, Global News reported uh, some documents that they had, which showed that the premier, Doug Ford, 
just like doesn't seem like he uses his government phone very often. They they documented this case where he gave out his personal phone number at an event. And then this is something the Fords are known for doing. Yes, this has been a part of their brand of politics for like over a decade now is that you, you know, if you go to these events, if you have contact with the premier or with the Fords, that you can get their personal phone number and reach out. And that's already a bit tricky given the provincial ethics rules. But Global showed through freedom of information requests that there were three months at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic where the premier did not make a single call with his government phone. Um, they also looked at phone records from one week in November 2022, the same month that the Greenbelt was open for development. And again, no phone calls. That's a little weird. And so uh, the NDP have asked now that there also be an investigation into that. And that's where we bring in another commissioner who has the capacity to look into this situation. And that is the Information and Privacy Commissioner. Most of the time, that's a watchdog role uh, that looks at like freedom of information requests. Right. Um, if I don't get something that I wanted that way, I can appeal it. And that's the person who will decide whether I get to see it. But this commissioner also has the ability to investigate when there are allegations that a government is not retaining records the way that it should be. And that's what now threatens to be another problem for the government. I reached out last week to ask the commissioner's office whether they were going to do something about this finding from the Auditor General. And they said they are considering potential next steps. If they do launch an investigation, that's yet another thing to add to the pile for this government. Okay, that's a lot. That all basically happened last week. If you were following it here in Ontario or anywhere across Canada, it was kind of one thing one day, another thing another day. And like I said, that's why we uh, got you on here to kind of explain it all. Towards the end of last week, after all this new information, new investigations, uh, resignation, etc. came out, Doug Ford held a press conference with reporters. How did that go? I would say that it was not the most pleasant. Describe um, it. <laughs> to say the least. So Premier Ford walks up to the microphone and uh, he's not in a particularly cheerful mood. He kind of lets out like this week, like, okay, let's get started. And then the reporters just start laying into him. The premier again and again tried to turn to his talking points. He tried to say, we're just trying to solve the housing crisis. And the questions were relentless. You know, people were asking, why did Ryan Amato resign if he didn't do anything wrong? Right. We played one in the intro where one of your colleagues is like, so would you say that that was the behavior of a corrupt government? Right. Yes. And eventually, at one point, the premier said, you know, that's pretty nasty. And I think that really encapsulates the tone of the whole thing. It was it was pretty nasty all around. And at the end of it, the premier walked away uh, back down the hall. And I think that the vibe of it that I'm getting these days is that Maybe the idea that the government can weather this storm is starting to to vanish into thin air, that maybe this might be getting worse instead of getting better. How will we know if 
anything is going to happen here. When we spoke to Fatma, she very thoroughly walked us through the Auditor General's report, making it also clear that there was no real teeth to this report. Can't force the government to do anything. Can anyone at this point, short of the RCMP investigation, actually take action on this? Well, I think the integrity commissioner can do something, but there there are like a million ways this could branch out now from here on. And that's kind of what's so interesting. So the integrity commissioner has the ability to say, hey, this person broke the rules and there should be a penalty for that. It's not going to be like a someone going to jail penalty, but there could be some sanctions there. So that's one way that this could go. The other way that this could go is through the information commissioner. So way back when the gas plant scandal happened and that played out for like, what, five years? It took a really long time. But the information commissioner actually played a very pivotal role in that because she documented these issues with the deletion of records. And then like a matter of days after she put out her findings, that was when the police really said that they were going to get involved. So we sometimes see that in these cases where the commissioners make these findings that then the police can use to jump off of. So that's one thing that I'm watching, right? Like, will this information commissioner next steps process, will that result in anything that could then spark something else? But even beyond that, like beyond questions about the police or commissioners, I think political scandals have a life of their own aside from penalties, um, aside from like investigations and questions of criminality. Right. This is a case where people know that this doesn't look great. You know, we talked about those like packages being passed between people at industry dinners. That's the kind of stuff that most people just instinctively know is not the way it's supposed to be. And the longer that this drags on, with each next drop of information or drip of an investigation, it reminds people further. It drags it out. The government ends up wearing it like a stinking albatross around their neck until all of this plays out. And it's looking more and more like that is going to be a very long time. Um, you know, every single time you and I talk about this for the next couple of years, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, and the RCMP are maybe investigating. And right. like... <laughs> All of that is going to be playing out over and over again, every time people talk about it for years. And so that's, I think, the thing I'm also watching is how much this resonates with the public and for how long. And it is going to be a long-term thing, especially with these investigations. But just because we're in the thick of it right now, people are listening to this on, on Tuesday morning or later on Tuesday. Last question, what are you watching for this week? What needs to happen next? What's the next shoe, domino, whatever, to fall? It could be whether the information commissioner launches a full investigation. It could be a report from the integrity commissioner, which we're expecting like pretty much any time now. And I think the other thing that I'm really keeping my eye on is like the houses, the, the housing development that is supposed to be the point of all of this. The premier has maintained that if developers do not get shovels in the ground by 2025, he will return the land to the greenbelt. But other than that, he's not going back on this. So will the public backlash crank up to a level where Ford has to go back on his word um, and has to go back on that proposal? We'll see. 
But also, will public backlash ramp up to a point where the developers aren't able to get those shovels in the ground? That's another thing. And that's that's the thing that I think really will define what happens next with the land, the ecologically important land that's at the center of this. And at some point, Ryan Amato is going to return someone's phone call, right? Maybe yours? I mean, I hope so. Ryan, if you're listening, (laughs) (laughs) we're eager to hear your side of the story. But yeah, that's another thing, too. I expect that if if Ryan is willing to uh, to drop nuggets like that in his resignation letter, that we might not have heard the last of him. And we've not heard the last of this story or from you, Emma. Thank you so much for this. As always, incredibly complex. Couldn't do it without you walking us through it. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. Emma McIntosh reporting for the Narwhal. That was the big story for more from us, including the episode with Fatima Syed from two weeks ago that I mentioned. Please head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Just search for Greenbelt. You'll probably find more than you bargained for. You can also talk to us anytime, and we'd love your feedback on this or any other episode. You can contact us via Twitter at thebigstoryfpn via email. The address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or with an old-fashioned telephone or a new-fashioned telephone. Either way, the phone number works. It's 416-935-5935. The Big Stories and all the podcast players you know about and some you probably don't. And of course, it's on smart speakers. Just ask yours to play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.